Tell us your story. Welcome to Author Eke. Hi, I'm Travis Davis, your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Author Eke. Today, I have Kristen Petrus. Kristen Petrus. Yeah. Um, and she is a native of New York City, but she's in Chicago. So uh, she's in an undisclosed location in Chicago because, you know, those two <laughs> cities are kind of compete with one another to be the most, uh, you know, nice or friendliest or food, I think. I think that's where they compete mainly is in the it's food the arena. pizza, yeah. Not the pizza, Chicago <laughs> deep dish or uh, really thin crust in New York City. So great. So, hey, thanks for stopping by today. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. We're going to talk about your books. We're going to talk about, you know, other things that kind of just, you'll say something. It'll, oh, oh, that's interesting. And we'll start talking about it. Sounds uh, good. So I just want to make it very fluid and uh, let the people know about you. So where you can get your books and how they can contact you. So go ahead. Let's, uh, let's, let's hear it. Sure. So as you said, my name is Kirsten. Uh, I'm a fiction-based writer in, uh, sorry, fiction writer based in Brooklyn right now. I've lived all over, but right now it's been Brooklyn. Um, I am the co-host of the Dark Waters podcast, a dark literary podcast focused on dark fiction, those who love to read and write it. Uh, and that started in 20, we started releasing those episodes in 2021. That was also mm -hmm. the same year I had my first short stories published. So I've had short stories out with Punk Noir, Hoosier Noir, A Thin Slice of Anxiety, City Lights Theater Company, um, mm -hmm. Alien Buddha Press. And uh, then in 2021, I had my story, The Next Witness, accepted by Santa Bar Moth. And that came out in May of 2022. So that was my debut. It is a dystopian thriller, uh, all sorts of cheery, wonderful, feel-good moments in this dystopian thriller. Um, um, it sounds like it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's just a barrel of laughs. Um, but yeah, I'm so grab that's, some popcorn. Exactly. That's kind of my story. Is uh, yeah. So just had the debut novel. I actually just got back from BoucherCon, and I was speaking at like my first writer panel at BoucherCon. So that was super fun. Excellent. I'm I'm um, gonna go next yeah. year. I've already I've already got, bought my ticket. Oh, excellent. It was yeah, so fun. Good. It was so good. Oh, I heard it was. It was awesome. So, but yeah, I think I'm that's- I'm sorry to me. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's my like story right now. I think that's a decent semblance of- uh, different, Decent picture, anyway. All right. So talk. let's talk about- um, So how'd you get into writing? I mean, you've done a lot. Just not novels. You've done evidently a lot of writing. And so how'd you get into that? Was it something you did in school or hit in the head with a brick? I mean, what happened? <laughs> Yes, mostly softballs, <laughs> but um, it was, uh, yeah. So my um, my parents just always encouraged me to read a lot, and then reading mm -hmm. into writing. So I was always just like scribbling in notebook paper and things like that. And we used to have this young authors thing that was required of us in mm -hmm. elementary school, and we had to write like a ten page story. So oh, when wow. I was in second grade, I wrote like a very short story about my beta fish being scared mm. because he was and that got like a nomination for something i was seven years old do not ask me for specifics oh, wow. but that was kind of like the first like oh someone thinks i can do this thing and then i don't know like it was just into you know junior high high school just started writing mm -hmm. um just like you know, never really finished anything. And then when right. I was 15, actually, I got the idea for The Next Witness, which was a different story, different thing, but that was the first mm -hmm. draft I wrote when I was 15. And then basically for the next a lot of years, um, you know, on yeah. and off, which is rewriting mm -hmm. and rewriting and rewriting that story into the form that it now exists. So yeah, that was yeah, you hear kind that of a, lot a weird from story. Folks, uh, that have a, have a story and some have taken years to write and some not very long. 
uh, but it, it always simmers in the back of their head of, oh, I want to be able to get this out. And you, you talk to, I've talked to a lot of people. You talk to a lot of people. That, oh, I, I want to write a book. I have an idea. And I tell people, just sit down and just start hacking away, right? Yeah. Just start writing and free flow your thought. Do, so do you outline when you write or do you no. pants? Oh, God. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, you know, I had um, at one point, I'm kind of sad I don't have it with me right now. But I was trying to explain this to somebody once about my outlining and the book that mm-hmm. I've been working on now, my second book, uh, I have the first chart of me trying to write down the idea because I was working as a bartender. I was in the bar just trying to scribble this idea down before I yeah. forgot. And it's literally three bubbles, half of it's crossed out, and there's just a bunch of arrows <laughs> pointing and question marks. And yeah. yeah, so that's that's the extent of my planning. Um, I did have to start because this story and to an extent the next witness too kind of go there's like different timelines involved mm-hmm. so i did have to start writing down birthdays to make sure i was getting people's ages correctly oh, yeah. so i have like yep. a little chart that's like this person li- born this died this age mm-hmm. this just so um i didn't say that a 30 year old was actually 35 but um yeah that's the extent of planning that that happens so you're basically a mixologist yeah kind uh. of <laughs> <laughs> So it's, like, oh, I, yeah. I just created a new drink. It's called. Uh, hold on, let me. Think. Yeah, it's called the um. Sci- it's called the dystopian thriller action <laughs> suspense. One shot will do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> so that well, that's great though. So I, I would imagine being a bartender, you get a lot of uh, like I want to put this character in my book, or you know, or, or do you ever see that somebody comes in and you go, man, this this guy is just like like I met Nikki Six on an airplane. The, oh, the that's Motley funny. Crew. Yeah. Oh, wow. I sat right next to him. I didn't know who it was at first, cause, but he had tattoos. I mean, just look, he looked dark. Yeah. Right? And we were going, I'd fly from Dallas to Pittsburgh, do some work, and we were sitting. I looked at him. I said, hey, nice tattoos. I didn't, I had upgraded the first class. The seat next to me was open. I'm going, oh, you don't want to be all by myself. He was the last one on the plane. Everybody's like, whoosh, 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 you know, like, nah. So he sat down. I talked to him. Ah, nice tattoos and everything. And start talking. He goes, uh, what I did, what he did. And I go, so what do you do? He goes, I'm in a band. I go, really? What band? He goes, Motley Crue. I go, man, I've heard of you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's my genre, right? So uh, Nikki Six, nicest guy in the world, by the way. That's uh, hilarious. So really, really cool guy. He so, probably just I found mean, it very funny that you didn't recognize him, that you were like, oh, yeah, music, tattoos. Of course, Yeah, then we start guy. talking about the band and stuff, you know, and uh, it's some interesting stories. But yeah, we had a great time. So so do you do you, when do you write? I mean, bartender, that's usually late at night, you know. Uh, not a lot of time. Um, so I don't bartend anymore. I, uh, it was during the pandemic. I, Mm -hmm. so I got my master's degree in 2017 and then I was freelancing and bartending from then until 2020. And, Mm -hmm. uh, during the pandemic, I actually got, um, it's not an office job because I don't work in an office. I'm completely remote, mm-hmm. but that first kind of like nine to five schedule. Sure. But even then, uh, I write the best at like three in the morning, so which is not good to. Are you kidding? Conducive oh. to a healthy lifestyle. Man, that's so, dystopian in itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of at work and stuff. It was a lot of just like I would have that schedule. I'd usually be off by like mm-hmm. eleven midnight one, so I'd go home and write a little bit, and then wake right. up and do it again the next day. So it was like writing later at night, sometimes in the afternoon before shifts. But now it's kind of the same thing of just like whenever I get a second, whether that's a lunch break, if that's mm-hmm. just right after work, if that's after dinner, it's there's no I don't have a schedule to it. And I've talked to so many authors who make them who like are able to wake up at 536 in the morning and just write for two hours and whether or not they end up writing or they're just like saying mm-hmm. this is my writing time. 
And I admire that. And it scares me. Like those people genuinely scare me. They will take Mm -hmm. over the world and I will be their minion. And that's fine. (laughs) I cannot do that. But not at three o'clock in the morning, you won't be their minion. You'll be in charge then. Yeah. Yeah. I take the night shift. (laughs) (laughs) You take the night shift. (laughs) But yeah, no. So I don't have any set schedule or set plan. It's just kind of. And the thing of it too is that when with writing short stories, I Mm -hmm. found that if I have a short story idea, I need to just write that down rather than because if I ignore the idea, then that burns in my brain. And there's been so many times where I just forget what that idea was. And then I'm just right. like, that was, what was that? What was that? And then that bothers me a lot. So yep. I will just like, so writing books takes so much longer mm-hmm. because I'll just stop, write a 5,000, 6,000 word story and then be like, oh, right. Oh, wow. But the word count on the book is not, a, not there. So well, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I usually, um, I like to walk exercise in the morning, and then after that, I'll come back, uh, sit outside if it's you know it's not uh, you know thousand degrees outside, yeah. and just and, and write because but I listen to music too at the same time, mm-hmm. so I kind of like that. And uh, then throughout the day, I'll oh, I have a good idea, then I'll write it down somewhere. But I, I don't outline either. Um, to my, you know, sometimes to my detriment because I go back and say, okay, hold on a second. I got to get all these timelines lined up, right? Yeah. How many days is it between this or or whatever? But I I don't know if I could sit in a sterile room and say, okay, from five, you know, from nine to five, I'm going to write because Mm -hmm. I've 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 worked from I think I was a trendsetter. I've worked from home since 1999. So you're Uh, just proof that it can be done, and it's fine. It can be done. You you can be successful for what I deem is successful, but other people may not. So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so. Uh, you can do it. You just got to put the effort in. Uh, so yeah, I do like that. So do you, how many iterations do you do? I mean, I, I'll i write and I'll go back and I'll, re- I'll I got to get the front right. I got to get the first part of the book right before I can really carry on, even though I'll write pieces of it later on. How do you, how do you do that? What's your methodology around that? Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't have one again. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. That's all right. It's a there's yeah, no you know, wrong answer in author Eke, by the way. <laughs> cheers. Uh, yeah, there is for when I was, I think, because the book, this the next witness was such a weird process of mm-hmm. completely scrapping and restarting and completely scrapping and restarting. There was a moment where I just said, This is good enough. And I just made myself keep moving because I did just ah. keep editing the crap out of those first 10 pages. Exactly. And then those first 10 pages, I ended up scrapping and rewriting and not changing within a day. Because I finally, like, it was, I was with my mm-hmm. friend and I read it out loud. Mm-hmm. And then I listened back to the recording and I was like, I don't like this. I hate this. I don't like this at all. And I just scratched it, completely redid it. And then um, in the process of working with Cinnabar, actually, we I included a new prologue. And that was written within a yes. day. So I think the first half of that, like the first, I want to say 15 or so pages mm-hmm. were just so just so sticky to me because right. I couldn't move on, but I needed to move on that I ended up just like they suffered because of that. So then when mm-hmm. I was querying, that was actually the weakest part of the book. And it was when I started to rewrite that, that it got a lot stronger. But then the ending was so that a lot of the ending didn't end up with a lot of edits. It just mm-hmm. was kind of, so, I mean, things changed and like, you know, grammar, right. you're always going to include an extra of consonant, course. but um yeah, a lot of those pages were more or less largely untouched. And it was mostly that first section. There was, um, so mm-hmm. the book isn't in traditional chapter formats, it's in parts. And part okay. one is the first 50 like or Axe. so pages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after getting through part 
one. Everything mm-hmm. else was so much stronger. That was just a weird process for me. But um, when I'm looking at like a short story, it could mm-hmm. be depending on just depending on what the story is. Some of them have gone through numerous reworks. Um, I had one story that I absolutely loved. It was kind of like Twilight Zone, Black Mirror, sci-fi-y. Right. And I sent it to a friend of mine and he was like, "This, I like it. I like the vibe. And I sent it to my sister and she was like, cool, when are you going to send me the rest? I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, you didn't send me a story. You sent me an outline. Like, I need the story, actually. And I was like, okay. So that process back and forth with her took took a couple tries. No, she's the best editor. She gets all of my stuff. Um, I I love her to pieces. And she was right. The story is much stronger now. But like, yeah, there's been other things I've sent her where she's like, change the comma here. You're good to go. You know, so right. I don't know. It just it totally depends on, uh, I guess, my attention to detail in that specific moment, or just like what comes out is mm-hmm. how that editing works. Because you have to I be think, in the mood to write. I do. I do have to be in the mood to write. I can't make myself write. It needs to be yeah. that some there's some thought, there's some idea, even if it's like the continue. So like if I want to write, what I'll do is I'll look up the last couple of lines of what I just wrote, unless it's an idea for a new mm-hmm. story. I'll look up the last like chapter, last lines of what I last wrote, and if an idea immediately comes of this is the next line, then I know I'm in a good space to do it. But if not, mm-hmm. there's no point. It will. I will just stare at a keyboard, and it won't be pretty. And then I'll get frustrated, and I'll get frustrated with the story. So it really has to be that kind of organic continuation for me to keep going. Yeah. I uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get to a point where I print it out. And I'll read. I'll read it printed because that helps me, one, uh, conceptualize the story, make sure that it kind of flows, and also editing of the of it. Because I can, mm-hmm. when you read it on paper, it's different. I think when you read it on the computer screen. But I do like your idea about recording it audio, because I know when I got like the audio books uh, back from my books, that. I'll read the book at the same time that the, that the guy is doing the audio tracks, right? I go, oh no, he left this a, a complete sentence or something out. Oh, that's wow. a critical. I said, you know, you need to go back and do that. So it helps me. I'll read the whole script again. Uh, of the book. normally the book is out before the audio book is even you know a month or yeah. so. Uh, but I, I do like that idea to read it to myself and then record it and then listen to it or have somebody else listen to it. Yeah, reading it out loud definitely helps. That's kind of how um, when I'm doing longer form stuff with my and sister, we'll read it out also, loud. Uh, reading out loud, it, it, it may take me a little longer. <laughs> That's fair. I'm very much in like the still like, <laughs> I was always kind of a New York person in terms of how fast I talk of just yeah. like speed up, speed up. But, you know, it's interesting because when I say sentences out loud sometimes or when someone else says sentences out loud, you mm-hmm. unintentionally change things. And you'll skip a word or you'll condense something Mm -hmm. or you'll whatever. And a lot of the time that actually I ended up doing that as the edit. I'll change it to whatever someone said because it sounds more natural. If that's Mm -hmm. how someone naturally read the sentence or wanted to read the sentence, that's probably a better way of saying it or at least a more realistic, understandable way of saying it. You know what I mean? So I agree. Do you have a a picture of your book, Your, your book with you or anything? Oh my if god! Not, I'll, get, I'll grab it off. I'll grab yeah. it off the internet and I'll yeah, put it on here. I have one downstairs, but it would take me so long to find it. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> you can grab I'll, it on the internet. Don't That'd worry. Be great. I'll I'll put one up on the internet. We're, so, because uh, I want to talk about your other books too and, and what you're up to next. But where sure. can people get a hold of you right now and buy your book? Yeah. Um, so it's available Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Kobo, Apple Books, like all the ebook platforms. Mm-hmm. And then in uh it's definitely available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble as the main as the main two. Excellent. 
Um, find me on Twitter at Kirsten underscore Petrus. You can find me, uh, my current website is Linktree. It's, so it's tr.ee slash the next witness. And that's a mm-hmm. link to all of my stories, everything there. But yeah, mostly, mostly Twitter is where I hang out in the writing sphere these days. Okay, excellent. So what's that? What are you working on? I know you're, you got to be working on something. I mean, yeah. it doesn't, it, you don't seem like the one that said, okay, I did, uh, I'm done. No, you know, sort of um, thing. <laughs> I'm working on the bubble chart, the flow chart book right now, oh. <laughs> actually. Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, so that book is a different genre for me. It's a magical realism thriller mixed with like a mystery story. And it's, oh, wow. And it, it's kind of, it's been hard to kind of explain it to people because I think when people think of magical realism, they either get mm-hmm. 100 Years of Solitude, which it really isn't, or they get like a paranormal romance, which it definitely isn't. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of this weird um, in between of magic is a part of the universe, but it's not what like that's not what the book is really about. It's not about magic. It's not about a magic school. It's not about a magical thing. Mm-hmm. It's about people and dealing with relationships and dealing with trauma and dealing with like scoring up things that have happened with the past and putting your faith in the wrong people like spiritual type thing or inner sort of spirituality or something like that a little bit there's like some Mm -hmm. some mythos involving a second emasculate's conception and uh that not being what actually happened um so it starts off with a bartender named jack who is a bartender in south bend indiana and a woman comes into his bar and all of a sudden, half the bar is exploded. She's dragging him to his pickup truck, chugging whiskey, blows fire out of her mouth and says, I don't do refunds, asshole, at her former boss and makes him drive away and is like, oh, cool, wow. we're going to Arizona. And that's how the book starts. And so through this story, you have April's story, you have Jack's story, who's the, um, the fire breather and the bartender. Mm-hmm. You have her former best friend, who is currently working as a PR rep for the Tory for t- members of the Tory Party in the UK. You have their former teacher turned April's boss, who is a mm-hmm. collector of magical artifacts and a researcher who has hired April to find the origins of a certain type of magic. And as she's find as she's researching this and realizing just how many layers there are to this story, you're kind of uncovering everything that happened to April mm-hmm. and Priscilla in the past. And Jack is just this bartender along for the ride being like, what is going on? What is happening? But it kind of has that grounding element of it's not just about these people who can breathe fire or like right. ma- manipulate minds or things like that. It's about how they are interacting in this world and how they're interacting with each other. That would freak me out. And I've been around. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would freak out most people if you just suddenly have a fire dragon woman next to you. Man, that's some, that's some jalapenos. <laughs> yeah. So why Arizona? Um, so the super, it's based in uh, part on the Lost Dutchman mine of the Superstition ah, Mountains, Arizona. Okay. So it's the, the background of that is that you have a man who decided he was going to find gold got a little bit too drunk in a bar and was you know the bartender was just like yeah jacob waltz used to come in here all the time so he's convinced himself that he knows where the gold Mm -hmm. is and the woman that he's trying to marry whose father has said you're not good enough for my daughter comes with him and they go to the mountain to try and find gold and they do a lot of people have done that i mean that's (laughs) that's that's a thing yeah Uh, it's a thing people try that 
it's interesting too because like you know history channel documentaries and stuff you know it's a lot less history and a lot more like conspiracy theories mm-hmm. but that actually kind of fit in well with what i was trying to do was like figure right. out what are the best conspiracy theories to bring out of this but it was dangerous it was a really dangerous time back in like the the late 1800s and oh, early yeah. 1900s to try and to try and go over there so it's kind of playing with all of that without getting too bogged down in the story of people trying and failing to find gold but. Yeah, you, you talk about like uh, Nat Geo specials and all the, and I watched some of these. These uh, what are they called? Like real, true life or whatever, mm-hmm. like Oak Island and everything. You know, they keep on digging for stuff. So I know that they're never that they've never found anything because it's never been like headline news. They found a you know thirty pound uh, block of gold, you know, yeah. at the bottom of a pit in uh, Newfoundland. Right. So yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy watching them because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, what, I mean, could this be the one? I mean, like, you know, when Geraldo Rivera opened up uh, Capone's safe and there wasn't nothing in it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. What a bummer, right? <laughs> oh, man. That actually, that was so funny. When I was, um, when I was a kid, there was, so growing up, I also read a lot of the Nancy Drew mystery stories that Mm -hmm. was like my jam when i was in elementary school Mm -hmm. and they used to do they still kind of do but not as often um these nancy drew mystery stories um like as Mm -hmm. computer games it was like these old school point and click mystery computer games and that was one of them was we found al capone's treasure in this random cabin in the wilderness just like it was wild like and then there was a this one like massive mayan treasure that you found you found good but nancy drew just turned into a treasure hunter at the end of these mystery games it was hilarious but Yeah. yeah i think the myth of that and kind of if i can find this thing whether it's gold, whether it's uh, mm-hmm. the answer to a question, whether it's whatever, I think the idea of I could be the one who found this out, I could be the one to recreate this, I could be the one to use that in my career is a very, very powerful motivator for good and for bad. You know, right. so it's kind of playing with that idea as well of like how far would you go if this answer could like save your life, save your career, save whatever, mm-hmm. and how much convincing would it take? show you that what you believe in isn't true well people go to the extremes i mean exactly. uh, definitely uh from i mean either from total uh no way to all in yeah you know, there's not a lot of middle ground when you when you do that stuff that i think that's why i, I mean that's why i kind of like to write because i can i you know i think i'm fairly creative uh, so you know thinking about something oh how would it be to do this or you know, or how could you have something do this? What, what do you, how do you find stuff or how do you make something interesting, right? When you write. So when you write, do you, do you, do you do like a lot of details on the scenery, you know? So you want somebody to conceptualize it when they, they, they read, they're here, they close their eyes and go, oh, I can see the mountains of Sedona or the fire coming out of the uh, person's mouth and just freaking you out. That's been a big challenge with this book is that a lot of it takes place on a road trip and you want someone to feel like they're seeing the different parts of America. Mm -hmm. You want them to feel like they're seeing this Mm -hmm. magic happen in real time. And that's been a real challenge for me because I usually just do very dialogue driven stories. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my short stories, my friend um, and podcast co-host Nate has deemed them lovingly as romantic horror. And Mm -hmm. a lot of those stories are what happens when love turns to hate or love turns into a power play or it becomes like toxic in some way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of that is dialogue. It's not action. It's not, 
setting a scene around you. It's just people talking. Mm -hmm. And this has been really interesting in that sense of like having to watch these like at least clips and like kind of study photos of these mountain ranges and just be like, okay, what is the best way to describe this kind of darkness, the claustrophobia associated with it, the or like even just how you, the the scenery transitions when you're driving from Indiana into uh, like across these mm -hmm. states, like even just going from like Oklahoma into Texas, what's the difference there? And yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to get too bogged down on it because if I did, then this book would be 5,000 pages and I don't want that. Um, yeah, but, it is, that. <laughs> no, but it is trying to yeah. add a little bit more of that depth and structure into it. And it's hard, but it's been a lot more, it's been very rewarding to kind of get the reactions that mm -hmm. I've been hoping for when I send people samples of it. So, yeah, great. I mean, you're in a great place to, to start a road trip, right? Route 66. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic. I mean, you know, even though there's a lot of it gone, there's still a lot of it out there. That's, I mean, that's Americana. You know, you kind of see some of these things that are back from the 50s and the 60s and yeah. uh, they haven't changed much at all. Well, it was so sad because I had this, it was, um, since my sister was 16, we've had this Toyota Corolla, this 07 Toyota Corolla. Mm -hmm. And that car, I drove it from Illinois to San Francisco and back from oh, Illinois wow. to New York. I've done that trip many, many times. And then I did from New York to Texas about seven times. So I've done, I did a lot of miles in that car. How many miles and were on that thing? It was a hundred thousand. It just, my poor baby was hit, was rear ended and it was told oh. about two weeks ago. And I, so I don't, honestly, I might dedicate the book to this car at this point. Just because. So if anybody's listening from Toyota Motor Corporation, Sponsored. please reach out to her and sponsor her a new car. Sponsor and, my new car. Uh, so she can do these massive road trips and maybe include a plug for you. So, Toyota. Get ahead. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, that's been... Uh, so that was kind of a part of the inspiration for it, too, is just like, you know, especially if you're driving from the Midwest to California. Oh, my God. The scenery is just... The scenery is wild. Yes. Even just going from New York up to like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, mm -hmm. just how much it changes is incredible. Yep. So I yep. just wanted to have some semblance of that in the book because I know... It's going to make sense to a lot of people in America, but if anyone outside of America reads it or anyone who hasn't really done that kind of big road trip, yeah. it is really hard to explain to someone just how wild it is to just drive. And like, this isn't a part of the book, but you know, just like drive through salt, the salt lake and like see the oh, road yeah. kind of hazing up around you in the heat. It's, it's an experience. It's a trip. And so my wife's German. And the first time I brought her back to the United States, I brought her, you know, an atlas. So for young people, an atlas is a book with a map. You open it up and there's a bunch of pictures, you know, states on there. So you will never fold it up again, ever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so we, uh, she looked and she's come over here for, I think, two and a half, three weeks. And she goes, oh, I want to go points to New York City and Miami, then this and this. And I go, hold on. You know how far that is from here to here? Three weeks Ain't gonna happen because she's used to Germany, Europe. You know, you yeah. anywhere in a four day weekend, basically. Um, so I said, no, let's kind of cut it down a tad because <laughs> you know? we're yeah. never gonna make all that. So, the, and, and you're right, but I mean, you can go from, you know, my son lives in Virginia, so we, you know, we drive from here to Virginia. Just the difference, not only in the scenery, but the people about the mm -hmm. the uh, I don't know what it's. Uh, not the environment, but the scene, the scenery, the people, the way they talk, the way they eat—it's just amazing 
how America is just a conglomeration of different people that all get along. And it's, and I love it. I mean, I, I travel all the time. And I just love, you know, talking to people. Sometimes I go, uh, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> and I'm a speaker, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I think but it I is. It. Some, yeah. I think it is just so unique that you can go from, and also what's been in, like, as I was writing and like editing and mm-hmm. going through the timeline of the book, just following the trip, right. On Google maps and being like, where would they yeah. stop? Where would make sense right. to stop at this time for lunch? Where would make sense to stop for the night? Where would make like all so are the they real stuff? places? Are there yeah. real places where they stop? Yeah. It's all, well, okay. I made up a diner. But the mm-hmm. towns are all real. Okay. And there's a moment where they talk about um, like this. So part of the road trip, there's like a big blue cow. There's like mm-hmm. a giant blue cow. And at one point, Jack, the bartender, is talking about his childhood and like how he's used to a big trip because his family, lo- he was like everyone in my class loaded up, had an experience of loading up the family sedan and mm-hmm. driving down to Florida to go to Disney World. And his dad making them go and stop at like the world's largest chair in Alabama or something like that. And so I'm trying to include all these little tidbits of things that actually exist but without getting too bogged down in those like Mm -hmm. specific details partially because i think it's more fun if there is a little bit of maybe this is true maybe it's Mm -hmm. not but also because i don't want the town with the world's largest ball of twine to come for me and be like hey you oh they would love you (laughs) i mean now somebody get the book you say i want to do the trip so i do i put real places in a book Mm -hmm. um and uh the first book more, more in Russia. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go there right now. Um, uh, but you know, Lake Como. You know, real hotel. Oh, yeah. Real restaurant. And and then there's a brewery in Manassas, Virginia, that we went and visit our son. I just fell in love with beer garden. Fantastic. So I put it in every one of my books as oh. where they go to decompress after missions. Oh, um, that's cool. Called Eavesdrop. It's fantastic. So I'm actually have a book signing there in October. Oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, you know they—they're you know, but they're great people, and uh, so that's great. So, how, how do you get your book out? How, how do you market? It's—it's it's, it's tough, right? That's the it's, hardest yeah, part. Yeah, it's of, tough. Of, you get the book out. That's easy. You think everybody's going to buy one? Well, uh, if yeah. nobody knows you, how do they do it, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of it's been through social media, you know, TikTok, Twitter, everything else, and mm-hmm. um, trying to build up those followings and everything else. But it's also just been through the community of other writers. So mm-hmm. um, after the book came out, I joined the Horror Writers Association because a lot of my short stories are horror. Right. And honestly, this book, could Next Witness, could fall under the horror blanket in the way that real life is horrific sometimes. And mm-hmm. no one's had a problem with me saying that. So fingers crossed that no one's like, kick her out. Well, it is. Um, but, <laughs> it is. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, the um, so I met some really nice people there. Uh, Robert Otone, who was uh, the Bram Stoker Award for Young Author, I'm sorry, Young Adult mm-hmm. book this past year. He has been just the nicest person of including me in different readings and different events. So Horror Writers did a, um, a an event at Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like a Halloween thing last year. And mm-hmm. so he and I were talking the entire time. He invited me to something else we had him on the dark water show and then right. there's been a couple of events where he's just been like hey come read here hey come read this and then i did the wilkes bar event wilkes bar asked me to do another author event and then uh another pennsylvania barnes and noble started following me on instagram so i just hit them up and was like hey do you want to do something so it's been a lot of this kind of you have the community but then figuring out how do i because you don't want to like 
take advantage of people or like come across that you're just using people in any way, but it's like supporting that community. Mm -hmm. So it's figuring out how to engage that support, but also you have to put in the work yourself, right? So oh my God, yeah. Can, yeah. So you can only go to like ask, like just rely on so many people for invitations. Like you've mm -hmm. got to take the initiative sometimes too. So that was a part of it was just like through Twitter, you know, figuring out VoucherCon exists. And then VoucherCon yep. was well, there's no reason why I shouldn't be going to that or like try and just like put your hat in the ring for a panel, put your hat in the ring to mm -hmm. do any of this, this stuff, right? And the worst they can say is no. And we are writers who have gotten our books rejected, I'm sure, mm -hmm. at least once, mm -hmm. at least yeah. once. There's yeah. no there's no one in this world who has never gotten a rejection, right. right? So you already know what it's like when someone tells you no. And, you know, you mm -hmm. just, it's annoying because I think a lot of people in this space, a lot of writers suffer from that imposter syndrome of like, no one likes me and no one wants to talk to me and no one wants to do whatever. Right. And you just kind of have to pummel that little voice into submission and be like, hey, I just got to grit my teeth and bear it and keep going because- Yeah, it helps to be, have people around you that are supportive, right? Yeah. Um, I, th exactly. I think I'm going to go to Thriller Fest next year too. I really uh, want to go to that too. I was really, yeah. I haven't, I haven't booked that, but I have booked the other Brocon. I, I've uh, definitely got that one all lined up and ready to go. Nashville's a great city too. Um, I love Nashville. Yeah, it's oh, really yeah. fun. Fantastic. So, uh, what's the name of the, your current book? Talk about your current book a little bit. I don't think yeah. we talked about that. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah. Um, so, Next Witness Dystopian Thriller. It's three points of view. Uh, Melody Karsh, who is a senator's aide. Um, Derek Lynn, who is a former cameraman. And Detective Alexander Covington. So, uh, Melody is found to have been harboring anti-government tendencies and goes on the run. Mm -hmm. Covington is trying to find her. Derek finds out what exactly sparked that and following mm -hmm. the death of his friend starts using melody as a kind of poster child for his for um kind of rebellion against the government because it's one of those things of if i use the person who died that no one knows about that hasn't been publicized in any way mm -hmm. then that's all going to come back to me but if i use this blonde hair blue-eyed innocent looking girl who's anything but um, mm -hmm. then that attracts more sympathy, you know, and then it's ah. more anonymous because more people know that she's gone. So he starts this movement around her. And when she finds out that people are dying in her name, she goes back to try and stop him. And he says, well, too bad. So sad. I'm not going to, you can go screw yourself. And, right. uh, yeah. So that's kind of where the story really picks up is, I mean, that's about like the first third of the book. And then the second third is her trying to like figure out, okay if I'm going to do this, what are we going to do? And Covington losing more and more of not just himself, but of his security, the longer mm -hmm. this goes on for. So it's, uh, you know, cheery and fun. And everyone, everyone has a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it sounds interesting, though. I mean, it, yeah, it was really fun to write. And I think for me, the most satisfying line is the last line, because I had it in my brain for so long. And I was just praying, I was just hoping that when this book came out, that that last line would have the impact on other people that it did on me. Yeah. And every review I've gotten that says the ending, what the hell was that? I'm just like, yes, yes. Exactly. <laughs> I had a, someone review, uh, give me a review the other day on one of my books. And, and I have a line where the, the guy goes in and goes on an internet browser, but he does use uh, Safari or Explorer or any, the Google search it. He uses DuckDuckGo because he didn't want to be followed. You know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. 
But uh, we're great. So it was great. Uh, anything, any last word, parting words for the audience on uh, anybody out there thinking about writing a book? You know, what are your, uh, you got any uh, advice or suggestions or anything like that? To quote a formerly respected now she shall who shall not be named um, from her fourth book, if you are looking for universal popularity, you will be waiting for a very long time. People mm-hmm. aren't going to like your stuff. And that's a part of being a creative person is just or like putting your work out there. And it's up to us as writers and up to us as members of that community to be respectful when someone doesn't appreciate you, to be respectful of reviewers, to be respectful of each other and supportive of each other. And I think as long as you're, if you're willing to put your work out there, you have to be willing as well to take criticism, to take rejection, to do all of that. So it's, you can't just go into it expecting everyone to love you. Maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of people will, but there might be one who doesn't. And that's, I think that's a really important part that people kind of gloss over when they're looking at this is rejection sucks. And we all know it sucks. And people who give, who say like, I didn't like your stuff. That also very, very suck. That very much sucks. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah. That's why there's, it's really important to find a community around you of people who are supportive. But you don't have to pay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Excellent. Well, it's great meeting you. And uh, hopefully uh, a Thriller Fest is going to be in New York City next year. Get together. You can that that drink you're coming up with uh, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> the cocktail for sure. If not in Nashville, we'll we'll go drink exactly, in Nashville. Exactly. Well, it was great meeting you and talking to you, and have a great rest of your day. I yeah, appreciate thank it. You thank so you so much for having me on. All right, this was great. Bye. Thank you for listening to Author Eke. There'll be another episode next week. Please stop by and start your own story. We can't wait to hear it.